works. Let's turn over to the book of Galatians. I've only got about 35 minutes left, but I wanted to share that with you. I'm really excited about what God is doing, and I wanted to share that with you and show you the things that the Lord's doing here. Uh, We've already covered Galatians. We started in Galatians 5, and then we went back in Galatians 1, 2, and 3. We didn't finish Galatians 3, but the last part of Galatians 3 is where he says that the law was like a schoolmaster. It was oppressive and mean and harsh, and it drove us to God. But now that faith in Jesus has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. And, uh, boy, that is a powerful statement. I didn't even get... I'm not even going to mention that. I'll stick, stay on it if I stay there. But that is one awesome truth. And then in the fourth chapter, he continues this analogy talking about that now we're sons. People who are under the law are like babies that can't make decisions on their own and they got to be punished and whipped and, and penalized and things like this. And he says, now we've come into a relationship of sons where he, where he sent his spirit of his son into our heart crying, Abba, Father, and you don't have to have these rules and regulations. Uh, David spoke of this in Psalms chapter 32. And he said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That's quoted in Romans chapter 4, talking about our new covenant. Not where the Lord just did not or does not, but will not. Future tense. All of your sins, past, present, and even future, have already been forgiven. Man, that'd be wonderful to teach on that. I've got a series over there entitled Redemption that will explain that in detail. But you need to understand that because like I was thinking when Arthur was teaching on being a friend of God, these things sound nearly too good to be true. And people think, well, yeah, I can understand that. But what if I go out and do this? You need to understand God's already dealt with all of your sins, even the ones that you haven't committed yet. And that's talking about here in in Galatians chapter 4. And it compares it to people who are under the law and trying to please God by performance are comparable to the two children that Abraham had. One of them came through the flesh. It was not God's will. That was Ishmael. And he's the father of all of the Arabs. And then Isaac was the son of promise, and it was supernatural. It came when Abraham and Sarah were both past the age of bearing children. And he was the child of the promise. And he says that those are the two covenants. Ishmael is the covenant of law, And God said, cast out the bondwoman and her son. They shall not be heirs with me. But Isaac was the child of promise. And it likens that to us, that if you are trying to serve God under the law and earn all of these things, you are like a slave. You're like the son of the slave and you get cast out. You cannot experience the goodness of God through your own efforts. You have to receive it by grace. And that's what the fourth chapter is talking about. That's really a quick uh, summary of it. Uh, It also says that we are like the spiritual Jerusalem. The actual Jerusalem, the Jews, are in bondage with their children, but we are the Jerusalem that's from above, that's free. And if you've studied all of these things out, every bit of this is talking about the difference between grace and law, works and performance. It's, it's uh, totally different. And so in the fifth chapter, we've already read the first four verses. I'd like to read them again, but I'm going to skip them just so that I won't get stuck on them. Man, it's hard for me to study these things that I've studied thousands of hours, and they're just so powerful on me. It's hard to pass over them. 
but I really want to get on down to some things. So remember that in verse four, we said, Christ has become of none effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. That's not talking about that you've lost your salvation. It's just talking about that you aren't operating under the grace of God. In verse five, it says, for we through the spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. Again, let me just stress that this is not dealing only with the physical act of circumcision. This is talking about effort, human effort, your goodness, your holiness doesn't produce anything, nor does lack of holiness produce anything. It's just faith that works by love. So many people try and take faith and teach on faith without teaching on the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. What Arthur was talking about, the being a friend of God. And you know what? It just doesn't work that way. Faith works by love. If you don't understand how passionately and how unconditionally God loves you, your faith is going to be hindered. And this is where people are. People believe that God has this power, but their faith isn't producing the right results. Why? Because they, it's not working by love. Boy, that's powerful. I could spend a lot of time on that. In verse 7, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You know, in context, this is talking about a little bit of unbelief or a little bit of legalism goes a long ways. And there's some people that think, well, you know, I, well, I've already made that. I'm not going to go back to it. I'm trying to move on in case you can't tell. I'm trying to get onto some scriptures, but man, this is powerful stuff. So anyway, it says in verse uh, 10, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. You know, this is talking about the legalists, the Judaizers that came and said, faith in Jesus isn't enough. You've also got to do this and this and this. And Paul said, he that is troubling you with this religious legalistic stuff is going to bear his own judgment, whosoever he be. In other words, if you preach law and that you've got to earn it, and if you don't do right, you're going to receive uh, bad instead of good. Did you know the people that preach that reap what they sow? And some of you haven't been around long enough to notice this, but you know, I have seen so many people that have criticized grace and have taken a stand against it and they're legalists and they're going to do this. And I tell you what, the vast majority crash and burn. They fall into sin themselves. I don't have the time nor the words to be able to fully convince you of this, but if you preach against sin and rail on sin, you will lust for the very thing that you come against. That's the purpose of the law. It makes sin come alive on the inside of you. It makes sin revive. It gives sin dominion over you. And people who are preaching on sin, you could have a group of people that, you know, their marriages are good, but you go to preaching against adultery and you better be faithful. And if you don't, the wrath of God's going to come on you. And I'm going to preach against pornography and, I'm, and you can preach against this stuff and the people will start lusting for the very thing that you tell them not to do. You will cause a rash of sin and adultery if you go to preaching against it. And some of you are just looking at me like, no, that couldn't be so. 
I could spend hours showing you scriptures that say that exact same thing. But if you would just look around, it's absolutely true. Jimmy Swaggart used to get so mad his juggler veins and stand out preaching against sin. And you know why? Because he was in seeing a prostitute and having a relationship. And I could just go through and name person after person after person after person and show you this stuff. It's the grace of God that sets you free from sin. Legalism will bind you to it. It'll make you lust for it. That's what he's talking about. They'll bear their own judgment. People who are preaching the wrath of God will come under the wrath of God. And it says in verse 11, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. Do you know what? You don't get persecuted for preaching morality and doing good, and you better live holier or this is going to happen to you. You won't be persecuted for that. You know what you'll be persecuted for? Is saying that God loves you. The things that Arthur was saying about going in and sitting down with the publicans and the sinners and the prostitutes and that God loves you and He didn't say you have to clean up before I'll go eat with you. You preach that stuff and you'll be persecuted. You will get persecuted. Some of you are thinking, well, man, that's good news. Why would they persecute you? (laughs) Arthur understands what I'm talking about. Really, it's, it's just vicious, the things that people will say about you. They'll say that you're encouraging sin, and they call Jesus a friend of publicans and sinners and a wine bibber and a drunkard. Call Jesus all of those things. Boy, that's amazing. That's amazing. In verse 12, I would they were even cut off which trouble you. You know, I've read a lot of commentaries and there's differences of opinion. Some people think that this is kind of a veiled reference to where instead of just stopping at circumcision, just cut the whole thing off. (laughs) Paul is just saying, I wish you were castrated. That's what some people think that he's talking about. But the word cut off in the Old Testament talks about dead. That if you don't conform, you, this person has to be cut off. And I can show you scriptures where that's talking about you have to put them to death. So some people think maybe he was talking about, I wish he were even dead, the people who were trying to pervert it. I personally don't believe that. I don't know exactly what Paul is saying, but let me say this. Whatever he means here is not good. <laughs> Doesn't matter if it's talking about castration or killing you. I'm telling you, it's not good. Amen. So I don't know exactly what he's talking about, but I tell you, it's not good. Praise God. Look at this in verse 13. He says, for brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now this begins to balance something out. Really, I hate to use the word balance because when people think of balance, that means that grace is out of balance. It's not. But this begins to present the other side uh, of the issue. He's talking about all this grace. Stand fast in the liberty. I wish people that preach legalism were cut off, whatever that means. And he's just bold and strong with this. But then he comes right around after he said so many strong things about grace and he says... Um, But brethren, you've been called unto liberty, but don't use this liberty 
for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. You know what he's doing? He's saying, you've got liberty. God loves you. He's not mad at you regardless of what you do. But do you use that liberty so that you could go out and live in the flesh and lie and steal and cuss and commit adultery and do pornography and do all of this stuff? He says, don't use your liberty like that. And he goes on to say in verse 14, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This is the law. Every law that was given was basically about either loving God or loving men. And if you truly loved people, you know, if you truly loved your wife, guys, you need to think about this. We haven't talked about this, but if this is a typical group, up to 50% of spirit-filled Christians in here deal with pornography and stuff. And you need to think about this. If you truly loved God first, And if you truly loved your wife, you would never, never, never look at pornography or commit sexual acts. And there's some people, that doesn't have anything to do with my wife. It has everything to do with your wife. Man, you aren't honoring her. You aren't loving her. You could take everything that you should be doing and boil it all down to love. Is this really loving God? Is it loving other people? When you commit adultery, you know what, what it's really all boils down to is you are indulging your flesh, gratifying, satisfying yourself, and you don't give a rip about your mate. You don't give a rip about the other person. You don't give a rip about the pornographic image that you're watching, the woman who, that's somebody's daughter, and you are helping her establish a career by lusting after her you're hurting her you're hurting your wife you're you're doing all kinds of things you are just absolutely selfish you're like an animal that gets your hormones flowing and you don't think about anybody or anything else if you really received this love of god and felt the love of god and loved god how could you turn from things like that god still loves you God's not mad at you, but you know what? You aren't walking in love. And so Paul is saying, don't use your liberty like this. This love ought to inspire you to serve God more accidentally than you've ever done it on purpose before. And then he says this in verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. In other words, he's talking about don't use this liberty to go out and live in the flesh. If you do, God still loves you. God doesn't change His attitude towards you because of sin. We sang that in one of those songs about there's nothing I can do to make God love me more and there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. God loves you the same if you're out doing all of these things. But if you get into the flesh and if you start just indulging the flesh and doing all of these things, you're going to hurt. You're going to offend people. And if you get into strife, and if you go to criticizing people and not loving them and doing this, if you bite and devour one another, you better take care that you aren't uh, consumed one of another. You go out and start using your liberty and say, well, God loves me, and so now I don't have to be kind towards you. I just don't care what you think, and you just start treating people bad. And I guarantee you, you're going to lose friends. You're going to be fired from jobs. Uh, Things aren't going to work. You aren't going to be able to minister to people if you don't walk in love. Man, there are still consequences to sin. The scripture, when we're talking about grace and saying that God loves you regardless of what you do, it's amazing how people interpret this to think that that just frees me to go live in sin. 
No, it frees you so that you don't have to live in sin anymore. It doesn't free you to sin. It frees you from sin. It breaks the dominion. Now you have the love and the power of God. Faith works by love, Galatians 5, 6. And now you're finally able to overcome those things because you know that God's on your side and He's not mad at you and you don't feel this condemnation anymore. There's still consequences to sin. You go out and start living an ungodly life and Satan is going to use that to blind you, to harden your heart. Man, these are powerful things that he's saying here. If you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. And so here's the way we're supposed to do it. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Do you know, people have what I call spiritual dyslexia. Dyslexia is where you see everything backwards. The word God, G-O-D, is, is seen as D-O-G to a dyslexic. There's a huge difference between God and dog. Amen. And so dyslexic people tend to see everything backwards. And this spiritual dyslexia comes from close contact with religion. It's contagious. And if you get around it, you'll go to seeing everything backwards. And basically what the church is doing is saying, you get out of the flesh. You stop this. You don't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do. You, do, you quit this, 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 and this, and then you'll be in the Spirit. This is saying the exact opposite. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Access this relationship with God. Become a friend of God by faith. Receive it as a gift. Understand how much God loves you. Start walking in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Brothers, I'm telling you, if you take the things that Arthur and I have shared and Barry and Jim shared during this conference and if you start having a relationship with God where you let Him love you unconditionally, separate from your performance, and you start letting this love of God flow through you, you'll find the flesh, sins of the flesh, other things just dropping off of you. It'll just fall off of you. You won't have to sit there and white knuckle and say, oh Jesus, help me to resist this sin. No, you'll just be so in love with God. It's like, who wants to go over here and and look at ink on a page and get excited. Use your brain for something besides a hat rack. It's just ink on a page and you're drooling. Stupid. And you'll just find that when you get into the presence of God, you love God so much, why would you want to turn to all of this other weak and beggarly stuff that doesn't minister to you and doesn't build you up. And you'll find out that these sins and this stuff just falls off of you. You walk in the Spirit, which only can happen by faith. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't become worthy enough. You just start walking in the love of God under the leadership, the fellowship of the Spirit, and the lust of the flesh will stop. Because the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. If you get over into the Spirit, the flesh just gets weak. And the Spirit begins to dominate. But if you are in the flesh trying to overcome all of these problems, and then when I get rid of all of these things and overcome my problems, then God will accept me. That's like trying to shovel all the darkness out of a room so that the light can come. That's not how it works. 
You don't, you don't shoo the darkness out. You don't drive the darkness out and then the light comes, which is basically what the church is preaching. Get rid of all of your problems. Straighten up. You know, when I minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit, most people that have been in Pentecostalism preach that if you have any sin in your life, God won't fill you. God won't fill a dirty vessel. <laughs> and what they're doing is teaching you get rid of all of the darkness and then the light will come. You can't get rid of darkness without light. You have to turn the light on and it's the light that drives the darkness out. You have to have a relationship with God by faith by grace, through faith, you have to just access it because of the goodness of God, not because of your goodness. And the more you get into the light, the more the dark leaves your life. If you have dark areas of your life, if you have things that you're hiding, if there are hidden sins in your life, I can guarantee you, you aren't walking in the light. So what's the antidote? I got to get rid of this thing and then the light will come. No, you just take the things that we've been talking about. Let God love you. Start saying that God loves me just like I am. He knows every wart on you, every hidden thing, every dark place in your life. He loves you in spite of it. You open up and you receive this love and you start speaking forth that Jesus loves me and I love him. And I appreciate what he's done in my life. And you just start reveling in the love of God while you still got the darkness. And you know what? That darkness will start fleeing. They are opposites to each other. You cannot persist in darkness and light at the same time. They're opposite directions. And so this really answers this question. So if you start preaching grace, people are going to start going and living in sin. Not really. If they receive it, and if they start walking in the light, as He is in the light, it just drives this darkness, all of this junk out of your life. They're in opposite directions. You cannot be thinking about, God, you love me. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you love me in spite of everything that I've done. You can't be thinking about that and just go live in sin. They're opposites. Just imagine this. Some of you will have to use your imagination. Some of you, this isn't too far from reality. But let's just imagine that you were going to have a, a relationship with a prostitute. And so right before you get in bed, you say, let's join hands and pray. And let's just, let's just thank God for His goodness. Thank God that He loves us. Let's, Father, we just love You. Thank You that You've forgiven me of all my sins. Thank You that You've forgiven me for this sin that I'm about to commit. Thank You that You love me. You are such a good God that You aren't going to leave me right here in bed with this prostitute. You look. You know what? I've never done something like that, but I would suspect that that would ruin the whole mood. I would suspect that it would be hard for you to go ahead and have a sexual relationship with a prostitute if, you, if that's what you did. A friend of mine who was a minister, he had as many as two or three sexual encounters a day with prostitutes and while he was a minister. And when he finally repented of it and came around, I was talking to him and I said, how do you do this? I said, I just can't go there. I can't, I can't even in my wildest imagination dream of having a sexual relationship with anybody but my wife. I said, I just... I couldn't help but think, what is Jesus thinking about this? 
And I was asking him some questions. And he said, Andrew, he says, when I got into those places, he says, it's like I had blinders on. He says, if I would have had one thought about Jesus, if I would have thought one time about what this was going to do to the kingdom and how this could be used against me and how it could hurt the church and how it could hurt my wife, he said, I never would have done it. He said, I literally just pushed God and everything out of my mind. I was going totally on my hormones. And he says, if, if somebody would have just mentioned Jesus to me, probably would have stopped me dead in my tracks. And I believe that that's the way it must be. A person that does stuff like that, you literally just have to shove the Lord out of your mind and you're just totally controlled by your own feelings and emotions. There are opposite directions. You cannot be going this direction and that direction at the same time. You receive this goodness of God and focus on the love of God and you start walking in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It did not say quit walking in the flesh and you will fulfill the the desires of the Spirit. No, it's just the opposite. You access the grace of God and walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For For the flesh lust against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh and these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. If you are seeking God with your whole heart, you cannot be serving the devil. If you are serving the devil with your whole heart, you cannot be seeking God. They're opposite extremes. So how do you know what is the work of the flesh? Look at this. It says in the next verse, verse 18, But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Man, I can't talk on that. That's awesome. In verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And it starts listing things that are a result of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Some of these are King James words, but lasciviousness is just talking about lust. Did you know lust isn't uh, restricted to sexual things? There are some of you that lust for gadgets. It's true. It's lust. Anything that's excessive that you can't control is lust. Now, there are desires, and there's nothing wrong with desiring things, but I mean, there's some of you that you just spent three or $400 on an iPhone, and now they come out with a 4G iPhone, and they come up with this and that, and you're going to, I mean, there's nothing wrong. Your phone will do more than your computer of 10 years ago used to do, but you just got to have the newest, the best, and, and you're compelled. You know you could work with what you got, but you've got to have it. That's less lasciviousness. It doesn't have to just be sexual. It could be you got to have the newest sports gear. You got to have the newest, best this or that, or, or all of your toys that you play with. All of that stuff can be lust. That's a work of the flesh, is what this is talking about. Lasciviousness, idolatry, which people think, well, I'm not an idolater. Colossians 3 5 says covetousness is idolatry. If you see somebody else has it, man, I've got to have what they've got. That's covetousness, which the Bible says is idolatry. God's not mad at you. He doesn't hate you. But you know what? Every time you start going in that direction, you're turning your back on the grace and the goodness of God, and you need to quit that stuff, and you need to just access the grace of God, and it'll cause all of this stuff to fall off of you. Witchcraft, which the Bible says in First. Uh, 
Samuel 15, I believe it's verse 22, that stubbornness is as witchcraft. If you're a stubborn old codger, it's witchcraft. Hatred is a work of the flesh. Variance, which is just talking about disagreement, strife type of stuff. Emulations, I'm not even sure what that is. Wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. So if you want to walk in the Spirit, here's the things that you focus on. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Focus on that. Not only ministering it to other people, but focus on God loving you. And God having peace and joy about you that He rejoices. You focus on those things and it'll make the flesh turn away. But if you focus on adultery and fornication and lasciviousness and hatred and drunkenness, and if you're into those kind of things, then you cannot fulfill the Spirit. You will not experience this joy and peace. That is so simple. You've got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. But you know what? We've had a lot of help. Religion has just complicated this and made it so bad. You've got to get out all of the darkness before the light comes. Man, you just turn on the light. Start taking the things we've talked about. Start thinking about how much God loves you. And then when you leave here, continue to focus on what God says. Focus on the fact that you're the apple of His eye. That God carries your picture in His wallet. That regardless of what people think, you know, some of you are going to go back home and praise God, I just pray and hope, believe you've got a wonderful marriage. But you know what? I can guarantee you some of you will go home and your wife's going to gripe and complain about while you were gone, I had to do this and the kids did this. And you were out there and you were just having a big time. And man, I worked my fingers to the bone and they're going to rag on you. Amen. Some of you are going to go home and your wife's going to let you have it. And she may not even mean anything by it. And you know, your first tendency is to start once again feeling, oh man, I failed again. I've done something wrong. You know what? You need to be strong in the grace that's in the Lord Jesus. You need to minister yourself up. You need to build yourself up. You need to start saying, Father, thank you that you love me. And even though I did mess up or do something wrong, boy, you still love me and this hasn't changed the thing. Everything they were saying is true. I am the friend of God. And you're going to have to minister to yourself and build yourself up. You'll go to work on Monday and I guarantee you the devil will come and try and steal away the word that's been sown in your heart. And he has plenty of people that are responsive to him. And somebody will come across your path and complain about something that they've never complained about before. They'll point out something that should have been done that wasn't done. You will have something happen. I can guarantee you people will come across your path and try and draw you back into this whole mindset about, oh man, here I am, I've messed up again. And you'll start getting away from the love of God. And you have to just encourage yourself. You know, I do this when I minister. I have a lot of people say really nice things, but I'll... There's always somebody that knows more than I do and they want to come up and correct me and they're going to, you know, I quote 50 scriptures during a deal 
And sometimes I miss the reference or I miss the wording just exactly. And I can guarantee you there's somebody who will come up and it's their God-given right to tell you where you were wrong. And I could see 50, 100 people set free, healed, delivered, but somebody's going to come up and tell me what they think and let me know that their wisdom is superior to mine and that they should have been up here and all of this stuff. And, and I have a tendency to let one criticism affect me more than 50 compliments. You know, in our ministry, when my mother opened the mail, we would get thousands and thousands of letters a month, but we'd get one criticism, and they would put on the outside of the letter the per- to the person opening the mail, if you don't pass this to Andrew Womack within 15 minutes of getting this, you will die. You are going to die this hideous death. I mean, that physically has happened. It's literally happened. And my mother just come running in with the letter and hand me this letter. And the news would go throughout the ministry. Oh, have you heard this person? And one criticism would overcome 6,000 positive letters. That's the way that human nature is. We gravitate towards the negative. And you will have people criticize you. Things will happen. And you are going to have to deliberately go back, take this teaching, and renew your mind. It is not going to happen accidentally. It's not magic. Just because you've been loved and felt the presence of God while you're here, now you enter into your mission field. Now you enter into war when you leave this place. Satan is going to come and challenge you, and you're going to have to learn to stand. And it's not going to be good enough to say, well, Andrew said, or Arthur said, or Barry said. You're going to have to say the Word of God says. It's got to become your revelation. This is one of the reasons, brothers, that really I'm not trying to make money off of our materials, neither is author. We have, we have expenses and we use that, yes. But you know what? We really want to get the Word in your hand. And with the technology that we have today, man, wouldn't it be awesome to take these teachings and Tuesday or Wednesday, if you feel some of this slipping and the criticism entering in, man, just put the CD back in and go to building yourself up and remind yourself of the Word and go back through it. Man, you need to get this teaching because I can promise you Satan will try and steal it from you. It's like here we are with all of these coals that have come together from all over the world and we're burning red hot. But you leave this place and you go back and start separating yourself from the fire and you're out there by yourself and other people think you're crazy for teaching that God could be your friend. And you know what? If you aren't careful, it'll go to cooling you off. You'll go, your fire will go to burning out and you have to encourage yourself. And, and praise God for the materials, the books, all of the things that we have where you can review it. You can go online and watch this whole seminar online again. It will be archived there. And you can go and watch this again free of charge. But you need to keep yourself stirred up. If you don't stir yourself up, you'll settle to the bottom. Amen. I believe God's done some wonderful things here this week. I believe we're never going to be the same. Thank you, Jesus. So again, let me just thank all of the staff and volunteers that helped. Let me thank all of the speakers, Arthur, Barry, Jim, and the praise and worship people. Man, it's been awesome. And thank you again for being so receptive. Man, uh, you guys, it's like saying sick them to a dog. You were so hungry. You're easy to minister to. So thanks for coming, and I just believe that it's going to be 
a life-changing experience for you. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. Thank you for the awesome things that you've shared in your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that has been right here present with us and enlightening us and making the word of God come alive in our life. Thank you, Father, that you love us so much. And Father, I know that you want us to retain this more than we want to retain it. So we just cooperate with you. We give you freedom. We welcome you to bring these things back to our remembrance. We welcome you, Father, to reinforce this. We ask you to help us so that we could walk in your love and in your grace in a way that we never have before. And we could keep from voiding the effect that Jesus was meant to have in our life. That we would get the full benefit of our salvation. Father, we thank you for that. And we agree and receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You got anything, Gary? Thank you very much for coming. You're blessed. You're dismissed.